right, so I'm actually sitting outside. You might hear a little background noise because there's cars coming by and the waterfall's out here in front of my apartment. I love it, love to hear the waterfall, even though I have headphones on and I'm attempting to use this uh, limiting tech. What is this, this what do they call it? Uh, the, the technology that keeps you, keeps you from hearing all the background noise. But anyway, I, my mind is just not all 100% there because I'm actually on a spiritual tip. It's September 6th, it's Sunday, um, and I'm just kind of sitting on the patio thinking about my spiritual experience, and I want to kind of share that with you today, if that's all right. If it's not okay, you probably want to not listen to this. If you feel any old kind of way about anything uh, or have any uh, preconceived notions of me, um, because you've known me in the past, you might want to listen to this or you might not want to. I want to make sure that when I'm, when I'm speaking this that I'm not judging any particular place or thing. I've just noticed in having conversations with other people, specifically other preachers' kids, that we kind of all fall into the same pattern. Um, a few weeks ago, I had a conversation with someone, a brief conversation with someone who I thought had it all together and come to find out she's been through so much because of trying to do things the way that other people think they should do them. And by doing that, we miss out on God's purpose and plans for our lives. I was sitting here today and doing a little bit of tweeting and I was about to put out this entire tweet about my spirituality and I thought maybe I should share this um, here instead of on there. My first tweet was, I could never be a anyone but myself and that wasn't enough for some people. So that's why I lost my desire to serve God the way that others thought serving God should be. My passion is still Him, but my expression wasn't passionate enough for people. Whatever happened to serving God and worshiping Him from your heart, in your way? Whatever happened to just feeling God's presence in your heart? This is my Sunday rant, so please understand, I'm doing my best to be spiritual and real at the same time. We often judge people that don't raise their hands during worship. We do this judgment in our hearts and use our mouths to spit foul words that affect people's hearts and their ability to connect with God. We cannot force people to worship God. I hope somebody's hearing me. There's a worship leader out there. You're struggling. You're wondering why people are not into it. It's not you. It's not your job. And it's not your job to determine based off of people's response physically of whether or not you're doing a good job. Have a conversation with them. Don't ask them, what can I get to? Ask them, are they getting what they needed worship? Are they feeling God's presence? Don't ask them why they don't raise their hands. Don't ask them. It's time out for that. You can feel God's presence just sitting right here by this waterfall. The music isn't playing. There's no guitar. There's no drums. There's no dark, uh, dark building with bright lights. There's nobody up saying, hey, lift your hands for Jesus. Nobody's doing that. We've got to stop that judgment. We've got to take that out. Everything that we do for God should be, we should be doing from our heart and soul. 
In Judaism, they live by the words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind. And what we tend to do in our Western mindset with whatever spiritual way that we want to interpret our physical response to something that we should be doing in our spiritual realm is, if you haven't passed out on the floor at the end of worship, you didn't do enough. Worship leaders are struggling out there, trying to fast on Sunday mornings, not having eaten anything in 24 hours, pouring out their heart and soul in front of the people, their body is failing and their spirit is not doing well because they aren't doing the sacrifice that they should be doing. I didn't say that you can't sacrifice. I'm saying that it should be the sacrifice that God requires of you, not that of others. And he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justly and to love mercy. I wish somebody would preach that to the United States of America, both left and right, left and right wing. But anyway, that's what I'm going to start doing. Every single time I see a Christian speak out against social justice or pro-social justice, I'm going to remind them. This is what the word of God says. <laughs> so when you judge someone and you judge, oh my God, let me not go there. It's another reason why I'm disenchanted with church because I see too much of a political thing taking place in many churches. I see preachers that stand on the stage and preach against Trump on Sundays. And then I turn around and I see these other groups that that preach against Biden and preach pro-Trump and all that other stuff. It's time out for that. That is not what the word of God says. And I don't care how many times you twist the scripture to make it to apply to the United States today. Voting in church is what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he was talking about making your election sure. It had nothing to do with what is happening in the United States right now. And if you really want to go there, what our job is not, our job is not at the poll. And we are failing if we are only going to the poll. We need to take back these political parties and make them do what the word of God says instead of us having to struggle to figure out which one we can vote for that will do what the word of God says. Anyway, because neither one of them is doing 100% right. The Republicans don't want to take care of the poor the way they should. The Democrats want to want to want to want to take care of everybody. So they wind up doing all kinds of manner of stupidity that take us out of moral balance, any kind of moral balance. And I'm not talking about gay marriage or anything like that. I'm talking about like literally taking the law, breaking it apart, putting it back together and saying this is the right way to do it instead of actually, I don't know, taking laws and looking at how we can fix individual circumstances instead of changing the law together. Anyway, let me not go there for too long. Please don't get me wrong. I still believe in corporate worship. Yeah, you need to spend some time alone in God's presence, but I still believe in corporate worship. And I believe in the sounds of heaven coming together when we hear harmony and unison in a worship song. But I also believe that the word is true when it says, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. It makes no sense to sing a worship song that you do not agree with. <laughs> if you're singing songs that you, if you hear, you're not in agreement with the songwriter, don't sing it. And we should not judge people for closing their mouths and just listening and, or, or speaking to God during that time when you don't understand a song and asking the Holy Spirit, either give me the revelation or give me a new song. I can't sing this song the way that you want me to. I cannot sing this song. There's a lot of worship songs that I hear to this day that I go, I cannot agree with. 
makes no sense to sing a worship song that you do not agree with. Words that you do not mean do not touch the heart of God, even if other people are in worshipful ecstasy. If it doesn't move you, it doesn't move God. I've said this all to say this, a time is coming, the time is now when true worshipers worship in truth and spirit. I never knew what that really meant until I felt God and his amazing presence in a church that was not mine. I grew up slightly Pentecostal, slightly Protestant, whatever we were, we're non-denominational. But I felt God's amazing presence in San Fernando Cathedral in San Antonio. I hadn't heard, I had been out of church for a while, been working on Sundays. I walked down to San Fernando Cathedral on a Sunday. Mass had been over, but they still had the doors of the church are still open because it's a tourist destination. Davy Crockett's bones are in an ossuary in the San Fernando Cathedral, and there are a lot of um, San Fernando Cathedral itself is is older than the United States. It was established. It's one of the very first, or a lot of people say it is the very first church that was established in the United States, in the land that is known as the United States. Some people will say that's a picture of colonialism, and I say it's a picture of spiritual, of the spiritual reality of the United States. And when I walked into San Fernando Cathedral, I heard a song that is from the Word of God, and I sat there and I, I didn't weep. I just felt my whole body just finally accept what I was hearing, which was God's amazing presence. His presence comes to us when we sometimes simply just hear the words that he has put in his word back into song form. We box God into religion and religi religious beliefs and customs and every single thing that we think we can do to feel him and to know him. And our veins, vain attempts to be holy and righteous are simply that, van, vanity. It's all vanity. It's all vanity. Where else have I heard that before? It's all vanity. Let me tell you this. Your best thing to do is to love God the way that you, you're supposed to find a way to serve. Whether you found yourself at a church or you want to volunteer somewhere, find a way to serve. Humanity. This is what God wants from us. He didn't say for you, like, I'm a worship, I'm a singer. I'm a singer and I've always wanted to be the worship leader. And everywhere I go, it's like, nah, you're not good enough. You're not good enough to be the worship leader, Charlotte. I don't know if it's the gap in my teeth or what, what it's been. And that's caused me to defect and to do things that are against everything that I grew up knowing and believing because I have not seen God work out this plan for my life the way that I envisioned it when I was 100% spiritual and loving the Lord the way that I thought I was supposed to do. I watched my parents die within 15 months of each other. Nothing that I planned in my 20s came to pass. Nothing, not a single thing. So I've been still trying to figure things out. This is what God spoke to me. I want you to serve in whatever capacity that I show you. God has shown me to serve in the capacity of teaching Forex and to teach people goal-driven lifestyle. And as a result, I have started to feel better about what it is that I do in my life and how I, how I interact with the world. Um, this year, being what it is, I've had that opportunity to spend more time in solitude figuring these things out rather than trying to figure out the community. Spending time getting fed the Word of God instead of trying to be everything that everybody else expects for me to be. Um, 
And that's been over a year now. And I'm like, I don't know which way the next step is going to be or what the next turn is going to be. I, but I do know that whatever I'm doing is going to be something that is both goal-driven and God-driven. Having a goal-driven lifestyle. What I mean by goal-driven is, what are these little tiny things that you want? I want to serve in the homeless shelters. Okay, go find the homeless shelters, sign up and see what it is that you can do. Don't, don't, it doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, I want this uh, million dollar mansion. I always say that. That's not what a, a goal is. A goal is these little things that you can do or the task at hand are these little things that you can do that help you to live out a better purpose in life. If you want to travel, you can do that as a missionary. But you could also make money along the way so that you can do two or three mission trips a year and then you don't spend six months to a year in a foreign country begging other people for money to build your life. I'll never forget hearing a, a businessman talk about this, about how he grew up with his parents. He was mission kid. It bothered him that his parents didn't make enough money and that they had to go and ask for everything, especially the year that his father cheated on his mother I gotta find that and talk about it on another session. I have listened to that at least three times in the car driving um, to San Antonio and hearing this whole thing on YouTube. This young man is a number top business leader that helps businesses to turn themselves around, helps sales departments to turn themselves around. Why? Because he decided that if he was going to do something for God, he wasn't gonna have to beg others for, to, to do it. There is nothing wrong with making money so that you can serve the kingdom. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. As a matter of fact, people should, more people should do it. I think it's the book, The Science of Getting Rich. It says the entire purpose of getting rich is so that you can live out your purpose. <laughs> so that you can do more. Now, if you're getting rich and you don't do more, all you do is sit on your butt or do, do everything for yourself, then you've missed the entire point of becoming rich. But if you're, it, 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 multi-billionaires sitting on billions of dollars in assets, not necessarily cash. What can they do? How can they leverage their assets to do more? There's a multi-billion dollar thing that they always say, you know, if you own part of the building, what can you do to build a homeless shelter there? How can you sponsor a family a year to live in that skyscraper that you're an investor in so they can turn their lives around? Because they, they're homeless. There's plenty of people that own properties around the world from apartment buildings to sky rise, sky, high rise skyliners and they could fix problems not by giving away their wealth but by leveraging it. Ah, that's the term, leverage. Again, it keeps coming back. How can I use the thing that I have to make things better in this world? Can you imagine if some of those skyscrapers in Chicago were actually used to house people who, want, who were going through some type of program to turn themselves around rather than just throwing them back out on the streets. There are a lot of homeless men, homeless veterans. Our government has plenty of resources. We've got military bases that are shut down around the world, but we have homeless veterans. Shut down military bases that serve no other purpose except for it to be like little office buildings here and there. But we've got homeless veterans. How do we solve that? Leverage the building. Take those old barracks, those old base encampments, those old housing complexes, revitalize them and put 
people in them to live so that they can get their lives on track. Help them to reskill so that they can have jobs. Get them the medical care they need. We've got buildings that allow people to do this. This is the purpose of becoming wealthy. And I don't know why I got into all that by talking about my spiritual life, but it, it all ties together in one way, shape, or the other. What we do in our spiritual lives brings out what happens in our natural lives. And when we take, if our desire is to be more like God, and so that's why we're in this spiritual spiritual path, then the one thing that we can do to be like God is to give life and to create. But, well, two things, give life and create. Doesn't mean that you necessarily have to create other human beings, it means create things. God created the earth before he made man. There's always a foundation before there's a family. Whoops, there goes a new one. So that's what I have to share today. I hope that this is helpful to you. Again, thank you for joining me on my journey in the mind of a motivator.